Yo, yo, what up, what up? Welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life? I am your host, Jacob Sokol, and I'm thrilled that you've taken the time to come kick it with us and dive deeper into how to create a more fulfilling, more exciting, more expansive existence of this life that we have to live. So thank you for being here. I'm stoked today to be chatting with my friend Michael Bungay-Stainer, who is the author of The Coaching Habit. Uh, He's also the author of Do More Great Work and has a great consulting slash coaching company called Box of Crayons. So I was first introduced to Michael's work many years ago, and I've just been enjoying watching him do his thing. And, you know, his new book, The Coaching Habit, has just dropped, and I figured, hey, this would be a great chance to kick it with Michael and also help unpack his wisdom for all of us who might not be extensively familiar with it. So his new book is called The Coaching Habit, and today we dive deep into habits, right? So, okay, well, if we want to change, how do we actually do that? And if we want to create habits, where do we approach that from? And he shares with us a formula for changing and creating habits. There's three parts to it, and you definitely want to know what all three of those are if you want to successfully create new habits. We also talk about the double S, which I won't give away, but it's a 60-second technique to use when creating habits that you want to stick. Uh, I bring him to the question of, well, what do you do if you don't feel motivated when you're looking to create this habit, right? So you've got a habit, you want to go, I don't know, floss your teeth every night and the time of the night comes and you're like, my teeth, like, fuck my teeth, right? That's I don't want to do that. So uh, what do you do in those situations when you just don't feel motivated to do the thing that you initially committed to? Um, And, you know, we just dive into an overall heart-to-heart, good guy chat. Um, He's, you know, a good dude in the world, up to good things, looking to help good people, a lot of goods happening, and uh, and same here. So it was just fun to explore and kind of unpack some of where I am in my life and, and get his feedback. And, you know, there are a couple of key insights that I took away from today's conversation that I've thought about many times since we initially recorded it. So I really invite you to dive in and with no further ado, let's do this. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, it's really nice to be back. It's great to talk to you as it always is. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, right on. Well, I'm stoked to connect with you and to dive into your wisdom and to explore what's been going on in your world. Sure. So I know that um, on your end, you just released The Coaching Habit. And I'd love if you could you know, just explain a little bit about what the book is about, why you were inspired to write it. And we can kind of use that as a, a jumping off point and see where it takes us. Sure. So... You know, one of the questions I get asked a lot, you probably have bumped into the question as well, are people in this kind of work around self-development and finding our authentic voice and growing ourselves, a lot of people go, I I need to write a book. And, you know, this is my fifth book. And whenever I hear somebody say that, I always say to them, are you sure you want to write a book? Because it is a miserable, miserable experience. I mean, the thing is, you get this idea for a book and you're excited about it and you're like, I can see it, I can feel it, I can taste it. Um, but then you go, okay, I, I, there are other books that kind of address the same topic because there always are. So um, how do I make mine interesting and different 
And then how do I find my voice? And then you write the first draft and, you know, they say the first draft is always shit. So you, you're kind of disappointed by that. And you're like, okay, but that's all right. I know you have to write through it. So you write a second draft and then a fourth draft. And then, of course, you're now starting to try and figure out how do you get it published? Do you find an agent, which is a pain? Then the agent has to pitch it to a publisher. Or do you self-publish, which is easier but has its own pitfalls? So all of this is a long way of starting to answer. It's like, so why did I write this book? And it's a really good question because – Unlike some of my other books, which were actually relatively easy for me to write, I kind of saw what I wanted and the book kind of showed up like that. This book almost killed me. It almost <laughs> killed me to write. Um, you know, I had the idea three or years ago, maybe four years ago, about what this book would be. And uh, it, it was connected to my business. I mean, that's part of the reason to make sense for me to write a, a, a book is that the way we make our living at Box of Crayons is we offer training programs, practical training, coaching skills for busy managers. So we sell them into big organizations typically. And I'm like, this would be a great piece of collateral for the programs we run. It will also help market the programs we run. So it, it fit into my business ecosystem. Mm. So I was like, okay, so that's going to be really good. But holy cow, Jacob, writing this book, first version, terrible, right? Second version I wrote, I wrote a whole new version of the book, still <laughs> terrible. I, I then started conversations with the, with the publishing house in New York that had published Do More Great Work, and they're like, we don't like any of your ideas. Well, we kind of like them, and we like you, but we don't really love this book, and we don't really know what we should, you should do instead. Hmm. So... There, there were, there were, there's more than once that I kind of went, I'm kind of done with this whole book idea. This is a, obviously a failed idea. But it just kept coming back going, you know, the, the, the purpose about why we do our work at Box of Crayons in general, the bigger vision, is to help people and organizations do less good work and more great work. And the thing that we've really focused in on is this kind of practical, here's how you coach in 10 minutes or less if you're a busy manager. And I, even though I kept writing bad versions of the book, I couldn't let the, the, the idea go. And then back, so back in December 2014, I finally kind of broke it off with my publisher. I finally decided 2015 was about writing the best version of this book I can and building a team around it to self-publish it in the way that is a really professional way of self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And that's what got us across the line in the end. So that's a very long, rambly anecdote about why I wrote this book. But it's because, A, it fits in with my business. B, I couldn't, I couldn't let this one go, even though I kept trying. I kept trying to quit, and it just wouldn't let me. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's cool that you bring it up, because I know a lot of people in our community are interested in writing books, but it speaks to the process versus the outcome, which we were talking about before yeah. we hit record. And yeah. there's, there's so many people who, myself included at times, can, can glorify being on Oprah, right let's mm-hmm. say and and then the reality strikes of like holy shit i need to talk in front of millions of people and it becomes terrifying the process right. is actually as you would say feel like near death um so so i love the fact that you bring it back to the actual process of what it takes to do the things that we're most inspired to do and what i heard and you alluded to that kept you engaged with that process is the deeper why was the the purpose of 
right. you know, here's at the end of the day what we're looking to do. We're looking to help people do less good work and more great work. And that's why it matters for me to go through this challenge that I'm experiencing. Uh, so it was really cool to hear you reflect that because it's super relatable to everyone listening. Well, here's the other, the other thing that made me decide to carry on, which is um, writing is actually something that I can do well. Like I'm a, I'm an, I'm a pretty good writer. I, I work really hard at it. I'm, you know, it takes me a while to, to write a good sentence, but I write, you know, I can get there um, eventually. And, you know, I do think one of the questions that it's worth asking is, uh, you know, when you're trying to weigh up what you do, where you spend your time, um, particularly if you're doing it to make a dent in the universe, you know, to try and attract other people, you know, you need to be asking yourself, well, first of all, do I even care about this stuff? Because if you don't care about it, you're, you're, in, you're in a world of pain, right? So you've got to have some kind of passion or engagement or kind of this matters to me. Secondly, it's a, does it matter to anybody else? You know, do they actually, do people care about this? Does it actually answer a need? Does it feed a soul? Does it feed more than a soul? You know, so there's that as well. But I think the third thing to ask yourself is, can I do this in a way that's interesting and different rather than just being a kind of uh, a carbon copy or a repeat of the way other people have done it as well? So there's something for me there about, okay, I think I have a vision for this book that's going to make it feel like a different, lighter, funnier, more interesting, less bloated version of business books that are out there, which you know, most of them irritate me greatly because I, I don't think they're very good. Yeah. And so part of it's also around that point of difference. And, you know, I struggle with this around other things like, you know, writing articles, you know, on Medium or on my blog and the like because I'm like, God, you know, I'm slightly bored by my own articles because they feel too much like somebody else could have written this. So for me anyway, there's, and this is you know, part of my, I don't know, psychosis, I guess, but part of it's around how are you different? What's the forum where you can be distinct and still answer people's needs and still connect to something that matters to you? Can you speak a little bit about the fear that comes up in going into the different the different and interesting part of yourself. And I'll give, mm. I'll give an example. You know, I'm, I'm mid-launch of, as we record this, of a, a program that I'm putting together, and there's an application to join the program. And one of the, questions, <laughs> one of the questions on the application is, what's your phone number? Very basic question. Yeah. And then you can add a little subtext to each of the questions. And so I wrote, I promise to drunk prank call you one night, right? And this is my personality. This is me when I'm hanging out with my friends. This is the authentic, right. interesting, and different part of myself. But there's this this big hesitation of, I mean, clearly I'm kidding when I write this, but it's not. It's <laughs> or not a, are you? Or, or yeah, to be determined. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but but there's that fear of if I really put my interesting and different self out there that. It, it won't be acceptable because it's not the way that things are supposed to be done. Yeah. And my take on it, and of course it's always easier to talk about it than do it, is to say the very goal you have is to be rejected by a bunch of people. Because that's actually what a brand is. A brand is something that allows people to say yes or no to you. What, what is death is basically indifference. You know, you're like, you kind of blend into the background. 
Um, what you want are people to go, I love that. I love that I might get a drunk call from Jacob at 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm going to give him all of my phone numbers just so I <laughs> maximize the opportunity. Um, because then you're speaking to the people who get your twist and your tweak on the universe. I mean, my company is called Box of Crayons, and we operate in the world of corporate training. And what that means is, and we've run into this, we have some people who go, you know, I'm never going to hire a company called Box of Crowns because that is a ridiculous name. And I'm like, perfect, <laughs> because you would have been a kind of sucky client almost certainly. Um, whereas the people who go, look, I just tell me about Box of Crowns because I love that as a name. I love it. I'm like, I'm already more interested in working with you and potentially partnering with you in some way. So it's if 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 you know if people aren't if there aren't some people who are going what the hell then you're not trying hard enough you've got to get your elbows out because that's actually the way you say this is how I'm different from other people yeah uh, it's the it's the measure of success of a brand if you're correct, if you've got people turning you down well let's dive into this a, a little bit more and at you know at risk of uh I, I love somewhere in the in the coaching habit book that uh that you just wrote which is awesome and we'll talk more about um there's some quote that you that you mentioned as far as if there's no such thing as a stupid question then what are what, what are all the stu- what are all the stupid people asking are they suddenly getting smart and asking I smart know. questions that's awesome isn't it that was uh, that's Scott Adams he goes if there are no stupid questions then what kind of questions do stupid people ask <laughs> do they just get smart just in time to ask questions yeah, I mean he's so funny that man he's really clever if you, if you want a great conversation hear him in in conversation um, Tim Ferriss on his podcast did a great, you know, Tim Ferriss's interviews, they're all like five and a half hours long. Yeah. So you, you, you have to kind of put aside an entire week to hear an interview. I, I'm exaggerating slightly, everybody, but it's like at least it's a couple of hours, but it's like two hours with the guy who created Dilbert. It's such an interesting conversation. So here's my question then for to go a little bit deeper into this this topic of okay well death is indifference and what I really want to do is to <laughs> to share this is who I am and this is what yeah. matters to me. I think the reason one of the reasons that we don't do that is because we we have a scarcity mentality of well then there won't be enough. So if I'm if I'm re- if I name my client if I name my company box of crayons, right? Then and this company doesn't doesn't like me, well what what happens if I don't find an, you know enough companies who do like me? So how do you how do you speak to the scarcity or just that mindset of you know, if I am who I am and do what I really want to do, then I won't be able to get what I, what it is that I really want. I think, you know, Jacob, I think the danger is collapsing the name of my brand or how I show up with the problem I'm solving in this world. And here's the thing. If you can articulate, you know, the marketing jargon here is the pain point you know, here's the thing I'm struggling with. And you go, I, I get it. There's your struggle. And let me show you the way that we try and solve that. That's what gets people to come to you or not come to you. Um, that's far more important than, you know, what brand you've name you've given yourself or whether you've got dotty logo or a stripey logo or whatever it might be. I mean, the, the, what you want, of course, is that kind of virtuous circle where you go, I've, I've really named something that people want. 
I give them a solution that's easy and valuable and appreciated. I do it in a way that is a little distinctive because when it's distinctive, it means that it's not just a commodity, but it's actually that something has value in the experience itself. You know, I'm a, the book is full of, is, is, I think, and of course I'm biased, but I think it's a beautiful book. Um, and in part because for me, design really matters. Design is a way that you take information and you make it wisdom. You, you elevate what it is through design. And I think the truth is, the, 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 the truth can be said through the solutions you create for people. What makes them powerful is when they're grounded in truth about somebody's struggle that you're helping to overcome. What makes them valuable is when you add design and you add your voice and you add that kind of distinctive twist to it that separates it from the crowd. Yeah, I love the distinction that you shared about we could spend all day trying to name ourselves and our products, but at the end of the day, is this actually helping? And if the yeah. pro- if if we have the best branding in the world, but the product doesn't actually solve a, a challenge uh, or create an opportunity for someone that that really works, then you know we're playing the wrong game. So well, there's a there's a lot of fake marketing activity that you can fool yourself that is actually making a difference, which is like, you know, spending a lot of time on your business card or your or your website or whatever. And while those can matter, they are very kind of passive marketing pieces. They're really the things people check out to reassure them that the that what you've offered them is authentic and useful. Yeah. So you don't want to you don't want to screw it up. But if you're going to spend any time, spend you know 90% of your time figuring out what the real problem is and what your amazing solution is, and then 10% of the time you know putting glitter on it to make it look distinctive. Yeah, yeah. And and my experience, I started Sensify almost five or six years ago, and I knew nothing about anything, and I still don't know anything about anything. But at that time, I had never you know had any business experience and i had wrote about 200 blog posts in the first year two years maybe some, something like that and then i realized wait blogging doesn't actually make me any money and it wasn't that i started my blog to make money i started because this mattered to me i wanted to meet people who cared about the same things but there was a moment when i realized oh wait um, web design, business cards, blogging per se, it doesn't actually make a difference in people's lives. And so what does it take to actually make a difference in people's lives? And I got so obsessed with that part of it, with the fulfillment of my services, right. that I kind of disregarded my branding as a whole. And it's current day, it's a, it's a active awareness that I have that it's actually time to go back to some of the branding to reestablish, you know, right. here's who I am in the world and what I have to offer. Because I, I learned after a couple of years that it's actually the service that's going to make money and so let and make the impact. So let's get really good at the service. And and that's how a lot of old school businesses or people did things, just word of mouth and referrals and you can run a sustainable business that way without all the glitter totally. and glam. Totally. And what I love is what you're pointing to, and this is for anybody in your audience that is running a business in this in this space around self-help and self-development and personal growth and and the like. And it's this, which is the fundamental difference between a successful business and an unsuccessful business is whether you're selling stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like, have you got money coming in? So one of the things that, you know, Part of my background is in that world of coaching, and I used to spend a lot of time with coaches. And 
you know, it drove me crazy about how allergic lots of people were to the idea of marketing and to the idea of selling. But it's honestly like, suck it up. This is the way you create a viable business. You, you go, I need to learn how to market well. I need to learn how to sell well. And, you know, find your role models, find the, the training that you need to, that feels aligned with who you are. And not all selling is kind of sleazy and horrible. I mean, I love, for instance, um, do you know Mark Silver? The heart of heart of wisdom, his work, he's 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 got a very grounded kind of spiritually focused or spiritually aligned or something kind of approach to thinking about how you get your word out there, how you build your community. But you've got to get that stuff sorted out. And to your point, Jacob, it's an it's iterative. So you know where once you figure out here's the thing I'm offering in the world, then that just gives you that much more information about how you now rebrand or upgrade your brand or refresh your brand to show up in the world. Yeah. And ideally, these things start strengthening each other. The brand strengthens the offer. The offer strengthens the brand. Yeah, love it. Well, speaking of that, let's, let's kind of wrap back around to the book. And right. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the book. Yeah, if we have to. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. So um, I love all that. And then coming back to the book, so the coaching habit. So maybe we, you can unpack a little bit about um, I know you break up the book uh, primarily into two sections as far as habits, one, and then coaching, two, and each of those have an opportunity to go deeper in them. So let's, let's start with habits. Um, what do we need to know about habits? And um, one of the quotes that you have is, you know, before you look at what to change, you really want to understand, you know, how to effectively change. And so what do we need to know about actually creating change? Yeah, the the primary thing to know is how hard it is. <laughs> it's like it's really hard. It is hard to change your behavior. We love patterns. You know, we are we are creatures of pattern. We're creatures of ritual. Um, you know, they, there's a study from Duke University that says that at least forty five percent of our waking behavior is entirely habitual. You know, we don't even really engage our brain. We just react to the situation. You know, that's half of what we do and. <laughs> perhaps, so excuse me, perhaps even more disconcerting. Um, when you look at how the brain operates, effectively 95% of the brain activity is in that kind of unconscious part of the brain. A very small part of it is in that kind of prefrontal cortex, the conscious part of our brain. So, you know, our brain is wired to repeat things that have worked. So uh, what that means is, if you want to change your behavior, and we're not just talking about coaching, we're talking about you know new, healthy, better habits, you can't leave it to chance, you can't leave it to willpower. You have to be pretty savvy about tackling this because you've got significant status quo to overcome. And you know, uh, you know there's, a, there's a whole bunch of just terrible information out there in the world about how to build new habits, everything from, but the one that drives me crazy is the, if you do it for 21 days, it becomes a habit. I mean, that's, yeah. honestly, somebody just made that up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very annoying, but there's also good information out there. And the two people I draw upon most in the, um, the book, the coaching habit, are two guys, one called Charles Duhigg, the other called BJ Fogg. Um, you know, Charles Duhigg, he wrote the book called the power of habit, um, which is fantastic, you know, a really good book and, and well worth 
taking a look at and, and reading. It really is well written. And, and by the way, he's got a new book coming out, I think, in the next month or so, perhaps even sooner than that. So um, and I think it's a – I can't remember what it's about exactly, but I think it's a bit more – almost about how to live a better, more authentic life. So knowing who's listening to this conversation, keep an eye out for Charles Duhigg's latest book. Uh, he's a beautiful writer, so it's bound to be a good book. Nice. Um, Charles Duhigg's key insight for me was that a habit has three parts to it, the trigger, the behavior, and the reward. The, the trigger, the thing that sets you off, the behavior, that's the habit. And then the reward, that's the part that makes your brain go, do it again next time. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. And for me, the critical thing to take from that is the trigger. If you don't know what your trigger is, it's almost impossible to change your behavior. You've got to figure out the situation that starts it all. Because only then can you be aware of that situation and start to create a new habit in that situation. And then BJ Fogg, uh, his website worth checking out called tinyhabits.com is uh, also terrific. And his key insight, and he's got many, but one of the ones that I really like is um, if you're going to build a new habit, define it so it takes 60 seconds or less to actually complete. Because if you make it any bigger than that, our big brains kind of will just hack the system and you'll default to the status quo. But if you define it in 60 seconds or less, then it's much harder to think of a reason why you wouldn't do this. So, you know, the classic example for BJ Fogg is he's like, I'm trying to floss my teeth. Like everybody else, I do a terrible job at flossing my teeth regularly. But his new habit was to floss just one tooth. Mm. And after he'd flossed one tooth, of course, he typically finished off the rest of them. So those are the two guys I think are really influential. And look, if people are interested in a kind of useful resource, if they go to the website, thecoachinghabit.com, uh, which is where the information about the book is, but there's a, a report I wrote. So if you go to coachinghabit.com slash coaching gurus, which is a terrible title because it should be habit gurus, but coaching gurus, um, there's a report there called the six and a half coaching gurus. So if you're interested in this habit stuff, that's a good resource to unta- unpack and kind of figure out who the kind of the real influential voices are in that space. Mm. So let's let's look at let's say the formula, the uh, identifying the trigger and then yeah. noticing. Okay, well, what's the behavior and then what's the reward? And so if we were going to make that uh, actionable and implement that into our lives. Um, flossing the teeth would be one example. What, what would be another example or maybe a common thing that, that people want to change and how they can use this? Yeah, so, you know, the book that I've written, it, it's actually, in, you know, we're in launch week, so maybe it's too early to tell, but we're seeing a lot of coaches being interested in this and picking it up. But the my perfect audience when I wrote this was actually for the busy manager, the busy leader, who's trying to do a better job, who likes the idea of coaching, is just trying to figure out how to make it part of their everyday work. So the formula, the new habit formula that we talk about in the book, what it sounds like is this, three parts. When this happens, so that's the trigger, instead of, that's when you define the old habit, I will, that's when you define the new habit in 60 seconds or less. So here's how it might sound like in a work situation. Um, when Jacob comes to me for my uh, for our weekly one-to-one meeting uh, and, and goes, Michael, how do I do this because I don't understand and it's too hard, um, instead of telling him what to do, which is what I normally do, 
I will ask him, Jacob, what's the real challenge here for you? And that's one of the seven questions that we talk about in the book. That's the focus question number three. Um, but you can see that I'm identifying a common occurrence. I'm identifying a behavior that I want to shift. And I'm now identifying a new habit that takes 60 seconds or less, which is to ask a powerful coaching question. And, you know, I happen to love that one. What's the real challenge here for you? Huh. So I was so excited reading your book uh, two nights ago. I came home and started to share some of the this formula with my girlfriend, and she's oh, like, "Great!" Well, she's like, "Well, what if I just don't feel like doing it, right?" So I have the formula, right, and the formula is there. But what if I have no willpower in that moment or no motivation? Um, have you come across that challenge, and how do you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, well, there's two things to untangle. One is willpower. One is motivation. If you have no motivation. It's really hard to change anything because you're like, I don't care. So if you don't care, why would you change anything? And so you change when, I mean, my, my friend uh, Mark always goes, look, every choice you make has prizes and punishments. What's going to make you change is when you realize the punishment outweighs the prize. Um, if if you go, eh, it's not ideal, but it's good enough, that's, that's not going to be motivation enough to change. So I can't help your girlfriend's motivation, but if she's not motivated, <laughs> nothing's going to change. Yeah. That's, the, that's the hard line of it. But willpower is a different thing altogether because the very point of the new habit formula is to start overcoming the need for willpower because honestly, if you're relying on willpower, things won't change because your willpower is like, it's like this precious liquid in your brain that kind of gets used up really, really quickly. And as soon as it's used up, you kind of default to actually worse behavior. So it's ironic. I mean, they do these tests in, you know, the psychology labs around the world. And um, they look at people who've um, been given – uh, oh, yeah, so they, they have to make it, they have to do a, a task, they have to tackle something difficult. But before that, they have a plate of cookies put in front of them, a plate of Australians would call them biscuits, but you know, North America cookies. And one group's allowed to eat them, and the other group has to not eat them. So, so one group is having its willpower tested, the other group isn't. And what they found is the group that had to resist eating the cookies basically gave up on the hard math problem really quickly. They're like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm exhausted. Whereas the, the people who didn't have their willpower exhausted were able to stick with the more challenging questions much longer. Yeah. So, you, so your willpower is like, it's, it's an illusion. You know, you have, fundamentally, you have no willpower. <laughs> you have no willpower. It gets used up really quickly. And then actually once it gets used up, you're, you're even more vulnerable to temptation. So the very point of creating a habit formula is that you're, you're creating something that overrides your willpower. You're just going, look, when this happens, instead of doing this, I'm going to do that instead. And it's a formula that allows you just to follow the steps rather than going, I have to be noble, I have to be self-aware, I have to be self-conscious. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, one of my favorite books on willpower is by Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson. It's called Succeed. And yeah, it, it's love not, that. Yeah, it's not explicitly about willpower, but she goes into it. And she also mentions in there, which lines up really well with the formula, is that um, 
what positive psychology and the research shows that we want to also have pre-rehearsed strategies for coping with challenges before they arise. And part of the cool part of that is that because we've trained our subconscious mind to, to feel like, oh, this is not a big deal when this happens. Like I know what to do versus like, oh my God, this is happening. What do I do? Right. And, uh, and that's really effective. So that, that ties in well with having the formula, that pre-rehearsed strategy for coping with the challenge. And then, you know, the other thing that, that caught my attention was the, okay, so the 60 seconds or less. And you, you in the book define it as the double S, to be short and specific. Yeah. I, I was interviewing Tal Ben-Shahar last week. and Lovely. Yeah. It, I, I, he's a lovely man as well. His stuff is really interesting, I think. Yeah. He does a great job of, of taking the academic research and making it super accessible and mm-hmm. translatable. And and. I was reading something that he recently wrote where he shared that people who directly pursue happiness, it shows actually usually become more unhappy. And I said, whoa, 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 what are you talking <laughs> right. about here? Let me hear this one. And, um, and when he unpacked it, he said, well, happiness is such a ambiguous goal that people don't actually know what they're pursuing and it doesn't really lead them anywhere and they get more frustrated and and what we want to do instead is to set very specific goals and when we do that then we can avoid this trap of becoming more unhappy so that that ties in beautifully to what you're sharing here um And, and, and just to build on that not least most people don't really know what makes them happy. Most people are terrible at guessing what will actually make them happy as to what actually does make them happy. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so going into the double S, the short and specific, maybe we could we could unpack that just a little bit for the the audience who's listening. How do we how do we make that translatable into our life? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, it builds on the conversation we've just been having, which is. You make it short because it has to be 60 seconds or less. Any more than that, it starts getting complicated and you start finding ways to not do it. So that's the short piece, which is really tangible. And then and it's just like all good goal setting that we've all read about. The more specific, the more context-based, the more real you can make it, it means that you're just that much more likely to act because if I say – you know, when when anybody comes in for a one-to-one meeting um, and they start asking me the answer, I'm just going to ask them all, what's on your mind? Well, <coughs> excuse me, that's, that's okay. But if I'm like when Jacob comes in and if in the first 10 minutes he asks me this, which he always does, then I'm going to respond with that. I'm kind of now primed to be aware of that situation. And what we're trying to do is overcome our unconscious that just says you're on automatic, just run it like you've run it before because it's good enough. Mm. And you're really trying to become aware of, oh, it's this thing happening. Good. So I'm going to do, I'm going to try something new here and see how that works for me. Mm, Love it. So for everyone who's listening, you know, I invite you to think and actually press pause and and spend some deliberate in, intentional time right now looking at well, what's one thing that you'd <laughs> love to change? What's one habit that you'd love to build? And then how can you make it super simple? Remember, short and specific. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, you know, take this interview for more than just some spiritual entertainment and and make it you know imp- <laughs> implementable in your life. Right. And, Let me uh, give you another example. Like this is this is beyond coaching, beyond management. You know, you want you want to get fit. Um, here in Canada, Toronto, the snows 
maybe about to start melting, which we're pretty excited about, so we can start going outdoors to exercise. But you know, people often go, "Well, I'm I'm going to go running every morning." Here's the here's the more specific version. When I get up in the morning, when I wake up, instead of turning over and getting another twenty minutes sleep under the warm duvet, <laughs> I will get up, put on my running shoes, and walk out the door. And can you see how that's got such a specificity to it, which is when I wake up, I get up, put on my running shoes, and walk out the door. You're not committing to go for a 20-minute run or a five-minute run or an hour's run. You're just committed to do two very small, specific actions that are like the micro-habit that start the, the bigger goal to actually start unfolding. Yeah, so cool. And, you know, this is a question that, that as I – as I transition to this phase in my business of, well, what actually makes a difference in people's lives instead of what marketing works or what kind of gets them to like me or think that I'm valuable, but like what actually makes a difference? Um, you know, I started to, to experiment with the, the, different, the difference between information and, and transformation. And one of the questions that, one of the things that you mentioned in the book is that people don't really learn when you tell them something. They don't even really learn when they do something or take action right. necessarily, but they learn um, when they start creating new neural pathways. And so, you know, maybe you can unpack that and, and help us learn how to implement that into our life. Yeah, so this is connected to the final question in the book, the learning question. And it, the, the lead-in is just as you said it, which is the way we grow, the way we stretch towards authenticity, the way we fulfill our potential and expand our potential is by continuing to learn. So that's all well and good, but how do people actually learn? And they don't really learn when you tell them something and they don't really learn when they even do something. They learn when you have a moment to reflect on what just happened. So the question I love and we talk about in the book is, well, it's got two versions. One is what was most useful here for you? What was most useful and what was most valuable here for you? So, you know, you can use this right away because Jacob, I've been talking for like 30 minutes, a little longer than that. Um, and what I hope is that you're still listening and you're enjoying it and you're going, ah, these, these guys, Jacob, so young yet so wise, Michael, so old yet so good looking, you know, something like that. And um, the danger, of course, is that when we're done, you, you turn off the podcast and you go, good, that was interesting. And honestly, instantly you start to forget everything you know so by tomorrow you're like i can't really remember the name of the guy who jacob was interviewing did he write a book i think he had a book i can't remember and, you know in a week's time you're like i don't even know who jacob is i've you know, completely forgotten everything so twist it around and go look reflecting back on what you've already heard over the last 30 minutes what was most useful or most valuable for you and write this down for me because there's good science that shows that if you write something down it's more likely to stick so write down what was the most useful, most valuable for you. And let me ask you, Jacob, I mean, for you, what was most useful or valuable from this conversation? Hmm. Well, I love the whole thing. Uh, and, hmm. and and to the folks, you hear Jacob is now going, he's making those little huffy noises as he's trying to figure this out. And that's when the new neural pathways are being created because yeah. he's now reflecting back. He's scanning what we covered. I didn't say tell me everything that was useful. I said what was most useful. So now he's having to extract the real value from the conversation. And this is where the learning is happening for Jacob. It's where it's getting embedded literally in his brain. Huh. 
Yeah, that's great. And what's funny is I, when that happens, and this might be a tangential other thing, is that I feel a pressure to um, to 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 prove to you, no, Michael, this this was amazing, right? <laughs> and there's there's that part of me that that wants to please and wants to say, you know. But when I actually do scan and, and dig what's in there. Uh, two things. One is the with just speaking about our businesses and and the fear of actually putting ourselves out there. There's the the indifference is is death, right? And really, you know, right. being willing to commit to this is who I am, and and that's going to bring the situations that are right for me. And then on the the coaching habit side of things, just the the sixty seconds or, or less. How do you make it specific, grounded, actionable, um, and and lock that in? Yeah, really nice. And what's cool is um, it's going to be different for other people. Other people listening are going to take something else away from the conversation. And I don't really mind what what the takeaway is. I mean, I love hearing it, but really my job is to hold the space for the learning and for them to extract the value in there rather than to be entangled too much around it. So, you know, when Jacob goes, God, I'm, I'm suddenly noticing this pressure to make Michael feel better or that is a profound conversation or that like I'm spiritually advanced because look at how deep my inside is. Yeah. I'm like, that's cool, but that's all Jacob's stuff and I'm going to let him work through that. I'm not going to rescue him from that. I'm just going to hold the space to say, but okay, all of that being true, but what was most useful or most valuable for you? And he, and he came to that insight by himself. So good. Well, that's great coaching in action, so holding the space and letting it happen. And right. um, and so, guys, you know, we, we kind of touched on a part of the book here, and we, we dabbled just a little bit in the in the coaching side. We spent a lot of time in the habit side. But um, if you are interested, if you are curious, uh, Michael, where can people go to engage more with, with this part of your work? Yeah, thank you. Um, the coachinghabit.com is the kind of the hub for the book. And so, uh, there's a lot of resources that we uh, offer through the book, videos and podcasts and downloads and all sorts of bits and pieces. So please feel free to jump on there. Even if you don't buy the book, you're welcome to grab any of the resources that are there. I, I think you'll find them useful and, and, and interesting. Um, if you want to buy the book, well, uh, hopefully online and offline uh, booksellers have that. If you do buy the book, my favorite to ask of you would be to consider writing an, a review on Amazon. Um, you know, I was saying to Jacob that I've got an ambitious goal for this book, for it to become a kind of classic in, in the coaching field. Um, and one of the ways, one of the points of evidence of that is is having that social proof of an Amazon rating and a review. So, you know, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, um, putting a rating up there would mean a great deal to me and, and be very appreciated. Yeah, guys, that would be awesome. And then just my own experience with the book, I got a PDF version of it, and it's super accessible and easy to read and fun. And you guys can feel Michael's personality here. You can also feel it in the book. So it's not this, this dense textbook that you feel like you were supposed to read and, and you didn't really want to read, but you had to read. It's pretty much the exact opposite. Great questions. And yeah, hope you take the time to dive in if you're inspired to. So Michael, thank you for joining us today. And uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate your wisdom and uh, have a great rest of your day. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for guiding the conversation with such deft hands. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So 
If you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast, and I'm excited to deepen our relationship, to get to know each other better over time, and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here, and we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple, and it is. Thankyoujacob.com, and uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.